1: Broadcast system. Hello, and welcome to the 161st annual Subliminal Section podcast, the weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody. I'm joined my pal Phil. How are you
0: doing, good buddy? Actually, um, we don't usually do this, but really quick, I wanted to just fire us right off into uh, the first thing here. Let's so- do it. Like I said a couple of months ago, if anyone sends us a five-star written review that's funny, you know, you can make fun of us, whatever you want, we would actually read it. And we actually got a five-star funny written one that made fun of us. So as promised, I will be reading it. Let's do it. This is from The Actual Devil, and it came (laughs) to us on the 29th of June, titled, Great. I love when nerds talk about rednecks like anything that they do is able to be compared. Your hands are probably super soft. Still love the show, but hate things they say sometimes. Five stars. Don't make fun of a group of people that could smack you to sleep.
1: <laughs> Very first off, Devil, big fan. Okay, I uh, gotta yep. say that first. Didn't take the <laughs> the Devil to be a redneck, um, but yeah, we 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 kind of make fun of everybody equally, right, Phil? Oh yeah, definitely. We do.
0: I mean, it's just, you know, you get made fun of for the easiest things. So, you know, I mean, everyone kind of has this idea about honestly, rednecks really come from all States. If you watch crime and listen to crime and sports, you know, they talk about, you know, the panhandle behavior like rednecks are in all States, but the, you know, with the Southern accent and all, we kind of make fun of that a bit. We mostly make fun of, you know, Wisconsin who deserves it and New Mexico also very much deserves it. Pittsburgh, they really don't deserve it, but it's just kind of fun because it's not true. But
1: Ah, uh, we call them steelnecks. Steelnecks, uh, yeah. yes. Uh, so here's the interesting thing I think maybe people don't realize is the redneck thing. I would say where you and I grew up, especially if you visit it now, it's almost like you're in an entire different dimension. Just Definitely. how people live and stuff. And it's funny because, you know, I was talking to somebody who grew up in a trailer park in the it, within the cities, right? And kind of like how the, everything went and how people acted and stuff, it was strange because it was basically identical to how the small town life was, even though not everybody obviously lived in a trailer park, but everyone seemed to act the same, I guess, if that makes sense. Yes. The Well, so I live in Mesa,
0: which is right next to Apache Junction. Basically, everyone in Apache Junction, not the entire city, but most of them live in a trailer park, large trailer parks. I would say the people, even like the middle class, maybe even some of the upper class people in Cresco, Iowa, lived their life much in the same way that the trailer park residents of Apache Junction live their life.
1: Yeah. So, you know, also- number one fabric of choice for the entire town is a little like camo, like... <laughs> Yeah, it's the most popular fabric in the in the town we grew up in. I can say that pretty, pretty much without a doubt. Oh, definitely.
0: Yep. Camo on top of uh, coveralls. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much the whole thing. (laughs) You know, I was about to say also about this. He's saying that he thinks that our hands are probably super soft. We've pretty much been blue collar dudes our entire life. Yeah, like
1: I will say uh, mine are softer than they were because I'm not really in a factory ish job, but they're very dry and kind of leathery like an alligators. So I'll, I'll say that.
0: Yeah. Mine are probably going to soften up a little bit because I changed jobs to more of an office setting. Uh, I'm not quite uh, tearing apart as many helicopter main rotor heads as I used to be. So mine get- hands are probably going to get softer.
1: You got to give those hands a break uh, every once in a while. And that's true. We, <laughs> I never mind. Um sp- things, <laughs> things I was going to make a joke about men with overly soft hands, but anyway, so speaking of not soft Phil, I want to this is going back to our childhood again. For some reason the I have now started watching <laughs> the old WrestleMania's as my before bed show. Yep. <laughs> and you forget how fucking ridiculous it is. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I was some of the shit that goes on. I'm like laughing. My favorite is when Ken Shamrock goes into berserker mode and he just starts <laughs> like throwing everybody around. It's so yeah, stupid. It's, it's so funny, but it's so stupid.
0: Well, the funny thing is all of the referees that they bring out, you can tell that they're local jobbers who they just dressed up as referees to take bumps because he he literally throws them, just strewns them about. The <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, yeah, I know.
0: Kicking their asses. It's great. It, no, actually, that's I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's actually that's a great time during wrestling. If you want to look at ridiculous shit, you got to look for the I would say the time that uh, Diesel was champion. Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Yeah. The the new the new generation. That was the worst time in wrestling. And it's it's hilarious if you watch some of the gimmicks from back then.
1: Oh, there's one thing I wanted to talk about. So I yeah. remember I was catching up crime and sports. They were doing Jerry Lawler, Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah. He got canceled for saying some racist stuff towards Asians. And one of the WrestleManias, I was literally watching it. It had to be maybe ninety. I don't know, ninety-two, ninety-three. There's a Japanese man, Taka, I think was his name. And oh, he's jump- noku. Yeah. yeah. So he jumps off the fucking top rope and Jerry the King Lawler literally says, it looks like a little kamikaze pilot up there. And I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. What is this guy only say race is shit? Jesus.
0: Yeah, that was well, so that the making fun of uh Japanese wrestlers as being like You know, World War Two aircraft fighters that was actually really big in like the 60s and 70s was kind of like bringing a Japanese person to wrestle from New Japan pro wrestling and then kind of just having them being like the bad guy, you know, right. They would they would bring them in to be, you know, the evil Japanese person. They did it with Yokozuna. Yeah. Who wasn't Japanese at
1: all. Who's Samoan American. (laughs) I uh, one quick thing we got one more talk thing to talk about when we get in the episode. Um, I was watching one with him; he barely did anything, and he looked like he was ready to have a stroke because uh, yeah. he's so big. And then I looked at what year he died, and I wasn't that surprised.
0: Oh yeah, before uh, Yoko Zuna, the in the years before he died, he was already huge when he was in his prime. But yeah, he blew up. He just he was trying to get bigger and bigger. And it, it just caught up with him in his yeah. 30s.
1: Unfortunately, so. you just can't. If you're that big, you just, your life expectancy is not great. It's too much on your heart. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he made a
0: shit ton of money doing what he loved. But yeah, it just, you know, one's body can take that. Right. That's insane.
1: All right. Last topic we need to talk about for the episode. Phil, hit me
0: with it. USC, UCLA joining the Big Ten. I've got to say, you're a fan, a little bit of the of gophers i'm a fan of the iowa hawkeyes how do you feel about our two teams being kicked down the totem pole of the big
1: 10 look i just those teams haven't been great in quite a while ever since pete carroll was cheating um they haven't been that good no they have not been that good but i do think that it's because of the
0: prestige factor so though nebraska came in they had all of this you know had a steam coming in huge prestige blue blood team and they haven't been good in 10 years yeah and iowa and minnesota pretty much have just trampled them for the past eight or nine years so who knows it could be something like that but i do think usc they have a brand new head coach they've actually picked up a shit ton of new recruits so they might be really good by the time they get to the big 10 in two
1: years i mean they might as well just go to fucking two conferences at this point and just call it a day
0: Oh, yeah, it's I mean, in 20 years, it might be just that just two huge conferences, not even called the SEC and the Big Ten. But who knows? I mean, honestly, I was talking to somebody today. We were kind of joking that it's more interesting off the field right now than it is on the field yeah. to watch to watch the games, all of this conference realignment. It's kind of like reality television. So <laughs> you don't know what's
1: going to happen next. So what is it actually now? The Big 18? It's yeah. It's gonna. They're gonna rename themselves the Big Thirty Two. Big Thirty Two. There you go. Yeah. We'll we'll probably talk about that more as it as the season goes on. But yeah, it's uh Big Ten usually Midwestern Conference, and now it is basically the entire globe because of uh Syracuse, right? And Rutgers or Rutgers? oh no, Mar-
0: Maryland and Rutgers yeah. joined yeah on the yes. East Coast. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. But uh, but yeah, anyway, Phil, why don't we've been blabbering enough? Lead us into this week's episode. I'm excited to hear it.
0: All right, let's hit it. For millennia, the sea was considered a vital but dangerous and paranormal entity fraught with dangers, real and imagined. Merchants, explorers, naval vessels alike had serious respect for the vast waters that made up the world's oceans and sea, carefully navigating mostly through the well-traveled sea lanes with the darkness finally lifting after advances in technologies birthed from the 20th century's world wars like radar, sonar, and eventually aircraft and satellite-aided cartography.
1: A lot of fancy words there, Phil. Um, Can I tell you something about the sea that makes it extra scary that I heard on the radio this week? So apparently they kept finding. Great white sharks, right? Everybody's fear. They've seen Jaws. Well, they were dead, and their fucking livers were missing. And in some of them, their hearts were missing, too. What do you think? What? Go ahead. I was going to say it must be the goddamn
0: giant squids coming for their revenge.
1: Uh, You ever seen the horror movie called Free Willy? Yes, I have. Apparently, the orcas (laughs) like to kill the great whites. And eat their livers like they're fucking Hannibal Lecter.
0: Yeah, orcas apparently... Well, so everyone thinks that, you know, orcas are these kind, gentle creatures from seeing them at SeaWorld and all of that. There is this documentary that is hosted by, well, Barry Saterio's good twin, Barack Obama, yeah. on Netflix. And they were showing these orcas that were killing this baby whale, basically like holding its blowhole underwater in order to choke it out based to drown it so that they could eat it easier yeah and it was fucking it made me rethink my position on the documentary blackfish it was (laughs) it was pretty fucking disgusting so
1: yeah i saw a video the uh the orcas will like take a seal and they won't eat it or anything they'll just like hit it and slap it out of the water it's like a play toy
0: yeah they're worse than cats
1: i was just gonna say it's like a fucking cat of the sea honestly Cat of the Sea, the most
0: dangerous of all. (laughs) Today, we will be discussing yet another maritime mystery, which saw the entire crew of a shipping vessel dead without explanation. As with many of the previous topics that we have discussed, there is of course going to be a paranormal aspect to this topic, as we will be discussing the ship left adrift in the Dutch East Indies, the fabled Orang Madan.
1: Okay, interesting. You know I love these stories, Phil, so... Oh, definitely, Um yeah. What it, I've done two of them, I think, right? The weird, something about tragedies at sea that have no explanation, I don't know, it just is is very strange.
0: Oh, yeah, I think it's just the unknown, and just the fact that an entire ship full of people can just be, you know, either disappear, or... Just be found dead adrift on a ship.
1: Would you, if you had an option, okay, once in a lifetime thing, you're going to role play being on a big boat crossing the ocean. I don't know how long that used to take, but you can just do it for the fun of it. Would you do it? No, I would
0: not. Okay. I I would, I honestly, if you get me in a boat that can make it in the time and give me the kind of luxury of maybe like the Titanic era of ships, obviously not the Titanic, but give me a ship that size and that speed. I would do it because that's a few weeks and, you know, it's obviously, you know, the, the, the first ships to cross the Atlantic took months. Now we have ships that can pretty much make it in, you know, like a week or two. So you kind of get the nice, you know, the vacation aspect of a voyage, but honestly, when it comes to a vacation, I like to get, you know, I don't, I don't like to spend all
1: my time on the on the bus getting there. Well, you just got to get on. I can't think of the name. What's the cruise ship with the whale tail? Oh,
0: it's not one of fucking like carnivals. Yeah. okay. Those disease factories. Well,
1: I was just going to say Carnival Cruise, number one place to get syphilis in international waters. I mean, how are you going to say no to that?
0: Definitely. Fucking typhus still lives on those fucking <laughs> ships. That's disgusting. Those things are fucking horrible. It's yeah. it's honestly not even a comedian's joke anymore. It's so fucking well-known. Yeah.
1: You'd almost rather get COVID on there than one of the many other super <laughs> deadly diseases.
0: <laughs> yeah, if I found out I was, a, I was on a Carnival cruise ship and I got COVID, that would be like, oh, thank God, it could have been fucking AIDS. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Like I mentioned in the introduction... The mysteries of the sea were mostly laid to rest in the time that our story actually takes place. This was the immediate aftermath of World War II, when the massive naval ships perfected by total war at sea had conquered the world's oceans, with the idea of sea monsters and ocean gods long in the rearview mirror. Not even pirates were really even considered a danger to sea travel and sea trade any longer with the massive navies of the allied and axis forces driving out any scurvy sea
1: rats that may have remained okay so this i thought this was going to be a lot older yeah you wouldn't expect i mean i guess too much mystery on the ocean not like before anyway you know what i mean So this actually,
0: I'm going to mention it in a little bit. This actually, funny enough, kind of takes place during the UFO scare that involved Roswell and uh, many other, you know, massive UFO sightings around the world. So it takes place that
1: same year. I wanted to throw in one more fun fact here um, about the Dutch, right? Yeah. So I've been watching the show and they kind of like eat foods from around the world. It Mm -hmm. sounds like the Netherlands... Number one place where they eat raw meat. Kind of interesting. You ever heard that before? No, I haven't. Like the dishes, some of the, a lot of dishes have raw meat elements in them, which is always scary for me.
0: Is it the type of raw meat that gets cooked with like acidic food? Kind of like how the Japanese cook their, their sushi, like the fish they put in sushi and like, you know, kind of like acidic juices.
1: No, this is like beef. Um, oh, this is
0: like raw, raw. Oh, yeah, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Oof,
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, like beef tartare. Like, yeah, I. It's not, not for everybody, but uh, didn't your dad eat raw meat sandwiches? Yeah, he was
0: more of the uh, moldy hot dog mm. underneath the stove for four months type of uh, an eater for meat. But no, not as much like raw meat, really. But okay. I imagine he would probably try it.
1: Apparently, big in Wisconsin, they call them cannibal sandwiches it's just ground beef on a uh, piece of bread
0: yeah well i mean that's not the only types of cannibals there are in
1: <laughs> wisconsin so yeah, that's you know it.
0: up in the woods up in the woods up there
1: yeah that's how ed gein and uh jeffrey dahmer got started they by eating cannibal sandwiches in in wisconsin
0: Definitely. If you are traveling in Wisconsin and all of a sudden the roads turn to gravel and have French names, turn right back the fuck around and get (laughs) out of there because you are you're fucking in it. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. Now, just like any good paranormal tale, there are many, many different accounts of the legend of the Orang Madan, which took place sometime between June 1947 and February 1948. With several ships traveling through the Straits of Malacca, they would actually pick up a strange distress call broken up into two parts. These two parts were actually separated by indecipherable Morris code. Now, this is the acceptable account of the final transmission. All officers, including the captain, are dead, lying in chart room and bridge, possibly whole crew dead. And then this was where the Morris code
1: came in, and the ending was, "I die, huh, I like the ending, and a little cherry on top there, um, yep, at first, I thought you were gonna you know go like <laughs> like do that yourself, but uh, oh, uh no <laughs> <laughs> like those little shits on fucking stranger things um yeah, very ominous i I think that might be an understatement, but uh. It's just weird. He just puts, I die. Like, was yeah, he already? He just, said di-
0: that, he just said that into the radio at the end. After trying to put out a message in Morris code, failing miserably, he just says, I die. And then end of transmission. Nothing else after.
1: Okay. I mean, it's just, was he already dying? Was he about to die? Did he know he was going to like, What you know what I mean? Or
0: was he already dead?
1: Is kind of one of the oh, little things, Oh, like it was his yeah. ghost on there. Possibly, okay. yes. So, when you're a ghost, do you learn Morse code. Is that what we're learning here?
0: Well, apparently, when you're a ghost, your ship poor at Morse code. That's what it is. Apparently, okay. that's why he couldn't uh, get the message out. But okay,
1: I got gotcha. you.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, this is just the last transmission that came from the ship. This was part of the SOS that came from the uh, Orang Madan, uh, that was picked up by many different ships, supposedly, through the Straits of Malacca.
1: Okay. Um, we got a new bumble, Bumblebutt, or <laughs> we got a new Subliminal Deception challenge here, Phil. Fans and Phil, when you are ordering any sort, preferably fast food through a drive-thru, don't say bye when they give you your food. Just say, I die, and then drive off.
0: <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> It probably won't be the craziest thing they've heard that day. Oh, absolutely so. not. Being yelled at by some Karen for not wearing a mask, I right. suppose. Right, yeah. <laughs> now, the identity of the ship, its exact location, and even a translation for the message in Morris Code and who these people were, were completely unknown to the recipients of the SOS. Though, with a little help, from local listening posts operated by the British and of course the Dutch they were able to actually triangulate the transmission and determine a location of the endangered ship one of the vessels in the area that was sent out to find it was an american merchant ship named the silver star this vessel would quickly make their way to the ship's now known location after being sent the coordinates eventually arriving a few hours later, according to one account. There was also another account that has this ship reaching the location in about 16 hours. Now, in this account, the rescuers had come from as far away as 200 miles southwest of the Solomon Islands. However, both accounts claimed that the ship was approached as it was seen to be adrift.
1: Okay, it's interesting the... There's two different accounts of how it was approached, right? Shouldn't it be there's a there's actually a few more accounts. So, Shouldn't it be yeah. pretty like pretty cut and dry who <laughs> who approached it how?
0: Well it so in most accounts it's this ship called the Silver Star. Okay. It's just where this ship was at the time. It differs a gotcha. little bit between stories. It's I imagine it was a game of telephone really kind of told amongst this story probably bounced around sailors first gotcha. for a few months, if not years, before it kind of hit the mainstream.
1: Gotcha. Okay. You know, here's the other thing. You were you're saying the British and or they were able to figure out it was operated by the British and Dutch, right? Yeah. And I'm guessing that's because in When they're doing Morse Code, they were doing it with their wooden clogs so they could oh, hear the course. the wood hitting wood and they could tell who the ship was.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Wooden clogs is, uh, is how Morse Code <laughs> got into the uh, the Dutch culture. So
1: definitely. <laughs> it's interesting. When you wear wooden clogs out at sea, you almost always get athlete's foot. I don't know why that is, but it uh, it seems to happen.
0: Your foot just rots inside the wood.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a lot of gangrene.
0: Definitely. Now, the above picture that I've uh, put up for you here, and I'm going to post on Instagram, is where the Straits of Malacca lies. And it's the supposed location where the ship was found are the two um, starred areas right by the city of Madan, uh, okay. which is a the largest coastal city on the island of sumatra now you actually might recognize this part of the world as it's just across the straits from kuala lumpur yeah uh, which is right where the episode that we had for the malaysian airlines took that sharp left turn was right around this area
1: right absolutely and it looks like this is where um patrick ewing went to college right there i see it right georgetown yeah georgetown definitely
0: (laughs) georgetown is just north of this area yep great basketball tradition there in malaysia
1: yeah very good he's a very good player ugly man but very good player oh yeah
0: (laughs) one of the oldest looking 20 year olds to ever play college (laughs) basketball definitely so
1: how how many like miles wise would you say from okay where they found the ship let's just say straight across the malaysia how many miles do you think that is
0: Oh, um, I don't know for sure how many miles it is from Kuala Lumpur to Medan. Um,
1: I would assume at least
0: a couple hundred probably, huh? Yeah, it's a few hundred. So the straits are wide enough. Um, it's kind of, actually, I was going to say this too. There's like, even to this day, uh, back then as well, millions of tons of cargo moved through these straits every year this is uh, one of the biggest shipping sea lanes in the world it's kind of a okay. shortcut um through you know around asia to africa and europe this is kind of like the way to go so it is it's it's not like or as wide as a river it, this is like a sea it's very very wide you can get many ships through here comfortably
1: okay all right i uh i could see this probably where hillary takes all her kids. On the cargo ships, probably brings them through here um, to get them to America. Oh, yeah,
0: definitely. Okay. Yep. in The the trade, as yeah. they call it. <laughs> the elite call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So also, you can see, you guys can't see this at home, obviously, but uh, Kuala Lumpur, Singapore, a uh, large, large city right there. So, I mean, this is a heavily populated area. Also, during this time frame, Indonesia And also Malaysia. These were not countries back then. These were still, these were actually just freed from Japan's control. And the British and Dutch were kind of trying to once again retake these areas. Also, you have to remember too, this is post-World War II. The United States was heavily patrolling this area.
1: Yeah. So if these were under Japanese control, what did they call the area? Just Japan still basically or what? What did the Japanese call this area? Yeah, didn't you just say they were operating it during World War 2? Oh, they occupied it. Occupied. So it, yeah,
0: so yeah, uh basically Japan occupied pretty much a lot of these island nations, especially Indonesia, Malaysia. They op- they occupied basically everything until you got to around Australia, which once they got kind of to Australia, that's where the line was. Kind of like the, you know, the point of no return for British power in the region. If they would have crossed that line, then the British probably would have had to completely, you know, get out of Southeast Asia.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: Yeah. But uh, pretty much they held on and the Australians were the, you know, fiercest fighters of the war. So, but that's a different episode. So now then when the silver star approached the adrift freighter, the crew noticed some strange occurrences pretty much right away. Not only was the ship Eerily quiet, but also it seemed that the area around the ship had a slight chill in the air. This was in contrary to the air temperature outside. At the time, it was said to be over a hundred degrees in the area, though the temperature of the area would pale in comparison to the strangeness on board the Orang Madan. As when the crewmen of the Silver Star boarded the vessel, they found that the Orang Madan's crew was not only dead to the last man. But also the sailors had had a terrifying look frozen onto their faces and they were all scattered amongst the deck of the ship as if they had been in a frenzy.
1: So are we talking like almost, you know, like in the ring when someone dies from uh, Samara coming out of the TV, they're frozen dead with like scared looks on their faces. That's how they're describing them.
0: Yes. Basically, they had, like, a terrified look on their face. Their arms were kind of propped in front of them as if they were trying to defend themselves. And another account says that they were kind of like, their eyes were, you know, like, wide open, just staring at the sun.
1: Huh. I mean, that's very eerie and ominous. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It's a, I mean, I don't know. It's Right now, it's very weird and... It does sound like something abnormal happened to these gentlemen. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The crewmen of the
0: Silver Star would search the ship for survivors. Like I said, though, they wouldn't find any. All that they found were the terrified dead crew of the Madan. Also, they would even find the ship's pet dog. This dog was slumped over on its side, dead. The look on the dog's face, though, was that of a snarled, angry look, as if he was, you know, fighting off someone, an attacker.
1: So even the dog is dead with a, well, I guess for him it'd be an angry face, but he's frozen with a very expressive face as well.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like a, you know how when you see a dog and it's just got that snarl, its teeth yeah. out, you know, it's got that look on its face. Frozen.
1: Huh. Yeah. I got to say, that's almost even weirder. Because every time you see an animal dead, it almost doesn't have an expression. You know know what I'm saying? Oh, definitely,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, an animal that's injured and about to die usually will go off and try to find a place to hide, you know, kind of, like, die off by themselves. But apparently this dog was, like, in the act of trying to, you know, defend someone or itself, like, while it died. It was snarling at something as it
1: died. I... (laughs) I don't know, it just keeps getting weirder, Phil.
0: Yeah, oh, it, yeah, it's going to get a little weirder, okay. too. Okay. So for the officers of the ship, they were actually found not like the crew of the ship who were found pretty much just scattered everywhere. The officers were found still at their post, though they had the same terrified looks on their face as the crewmen had had, with most of them found either in the wheelhouse or in the chart room. Now, of course, the captain of the ship was found in the state in the bridge. And the radio operator who had sent that ominous distress call was found dead at the ship's comm.
1: Okay, my only theory right now is whoever was the captain's boss had requested that maybe him and the boys watch a new movie titled Joe Dirt ah, 2. just A
0: Jeff Bezos type.
1: Yeah, like they just, I don't know, maybe he had an insurance policy and he knew if they watched the movie, they would die because it's so fucking terrible. <sighs> I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Phil. This is just, so you're saying the captain died with the comms in his hand. He died at the, the radio station. Okay. The, the comm, the communication station. So he didn't necessarily have anything in his hand, but he was in the vicinity of it. Well, I imagine there was like a microphone
0: that you speak into. Okay. So, you know, I don't know if it was actually like a a microphone, like a, you know, a comedian uses up on stage where it's connected to a cord and he's holding it. But, you know, it's it's you can imagine like a like a radio station from from those days. You know, it basically takes up the entire wall in front of them.
1: Yeah. Those old timey
0: radios.
1: (sighs) Could it have been a band of some kind that just terrorized them?
0: I don't know. Possibly. Could have been 30 seconds to Mars. He can't <laughs> count them out.
1: My chemical romance maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. No, you are right about uh, Joe Dirt too, but I think that comes from people just shooting themselves in the head. They, you know.
1: What What was that movie that it was the the dystopian movie, like the post-apocalyptic movie where they were like targeting Christians? Oh, God, the one that we watched on Amazon for the Patreon.
0: <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Oh, Oof-da. that was. Yeah, honestly, it it's almost like idle hands where your hand just goes for a knife and tries to stab you with it. Yeah. That's that's almost like while I was watching that, my hand was just going for weapons and I had to sit on it. It was bad. That was a tough one. Yeah,
1: you know, most of the time, propaganda films are kind of fun. That movie was like I. it might have been worse than Joe Dirt, too. It was really oh. bad. Yeah the the lead actor in
0: that movie was definitely their cult. That was that was scary. I I imagine all of those fucking actors have drank the Kool Aid by now.
1: <laughs> They're all deceased.
0: They're all yes, very much deceased. Okay. Much like the crew of the Rang Madan. Okay. So even even stranger, the deceased sailors aboard the Madan did not have any wounds at all on their bodies that would explain their deaths. Also, it seems as if the bodies of the men were decaying at a much faster rate than they really seemingly should have in that environment. The ship did not appear to have any damage at all. The ship did not show any signs or evidence of having been boarded in anger at any point.
1: Could it have been pillaged by Ken Shamrock? I imagine so. You know, he's kind of scary when he goes nuts, but no, um... Okay, just looking from where this is, you know, Malaysia, they have a rep, you know, these southwestern islands have a reputation for being very humid, hot and humid, especially if it's 100 today. I would imagine with the humidity, that would probably cause the decay to come faster. Wouldn't you assume? Oh, yeah, that's one of the things that I was
0: thinking. So they really didn't know how long a lot of these bodies had been decaying on board this ship. So really, I mean, it depends on if you take the account of it took three hours to get there or if you take the account of it took over 14 hours to get there. Really, who knows how many of those bodies had been lying on deck like before the radio operator actually called for help.
1: And here's the other thing. Obviously, their forensic knowledge is not nearly as good... As it is now, I mean, if you die now, they can basically tell your whole fucking life story. Like they can tell when you died, when the last time you jerked off was, when the last time you took a dump was like, it's just, it's insane the amount of information they can find out about you after you're dead. Yeah.
0: If you die and someone moves you and kind of like puts your body somewhere else, they can tell how you died, what position your body was in when it died and kind of, Pretty much, how many people it would have taken to move you? All this stuff, just from like the you know the blood settling in your body, any bugs that might be eating you at the time. Also, anyone who listens to true crime knows that during the hot and Cuban like summer months, any bodies that are left outside pretty much just bloat out
1: and they
0: liquefy after yeah. a few
1: weeks. I mean, so, I mean, you grew up on a farm. You saw dead animals.
0: <laughs> they oh, look like yeah. a
1: fucking. <laughs> They turned into a balloon, basically. Oh, and they popped, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking disgusting.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Now, according to legend, the officers of the Silver Star had decided to tow away the ship, taking the vessel in for salvage. Though, after the tow ropes had been tied, the seemingly undamaged ship began to smoke from inside of its hull in the area of Cargo Bay 4. And shortly after, the tow line's were cut, and the Silver Star began to attempt to really just distance itself from the Orang Madan, the ship would explode, with enough force to lift itself out of the water, falling back into the straits and sinking under the waterline very quickly.
1: Wow, okay. I don't know how that would happen. I mean, I guess it's a legend, but very interesting if that happened. I mean, what could possibly... I don't know. They would have had like to have one of the accelerant explosives that, you know, if you shake it, it blows up. Um, yeah.
0: So it kind of reminds me, one of our first episodes was on the USS Maine. Uh, there was actually quite a few really decent, you know, explanations you could get for why a ship, because that the Maine exploded exactly like this ship did. Um, pretty much like lifting itself out of the water and then like coming down under the water line, you know, because of, rupturing open the force and all of that one of the things in the uss Maine that's believed to have blown up the ship was the fact that all of that coal dust had been concentrated inside the hull of the ship and it kind of you know blew up with the pressurized explosion igniting the ship's magazines this was the uss Maine. i'm talking about. i'm kind of imagining that same kind of explosion which would mean that there was a lot of explosives on board this ship And it wasn't a war vessel. This was a shipping freighter, according to the legends.
1: Okay, so what you're saying maybe is, if there's some sort of explosive in there, even coal, um, just the pressure of being pulled or something could have detonated it, or maybe something was pulled and a spark hit it, or you know, well, yeah,
0: from. Maybe from the tow lines or something like that, if there was some kind of explosive. So one of the, I'll, I'm going to get into it a little bit later, okay. that has to do with the ship being pulled
1: and explosives. Okay, so, well, well, we'll talk yeah. about it then, once you get there.
0: Yeah. Now, this story, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, has many, many different tellings from supposed eyewitnesses, with many of the accounts actually being contrary to the others. Uh, all of this leads to the first explanation that I'm going to give for this story. And that is, of course, the easiest one to explain, that this is nothing more than a tall tale, and that the Orang Madan really had never existed in the first place.
1: I mean, I hope that's not the case, because that I kind of like this story so far. Although, as we have found out on this show, sometimes the illogical stories we hear are probably the least probable
0: yes definitely well that's kind of why i like to go for the most probable telling of it first and then get into the the fantastic right tellings of it but yeah i mean it's really before i go any further this one is kind of uh there more people are on the side that the ship never existed than are on the side of the story is true in some form or fashion true
1: I mean, I guess how the story is laid out, it's fun. There's a lot of mystery to it. It's got like all the check marks to just a good fucking lore or good fucking legend. So, oh, yeah, um,
0: it'd make a great movie. So,
1: unfortunately, yeah. you're probably right. <laughs> it probably never happened.
0: Yeah. When I when I tell the rest of the story, too, you kind of you kind of get the feeling that, you know, certain other things were built on to the legends as you go. Gotcha. on. Gotcha. Kind of you know, years and years later, the legend, so.
1: Uh, Okay, I mean, maybe if the Silver Star was made up, that would have been fine, but uh, I can't, I don't know. Let's hear it.
0: Now, this first explanation, like I mentioned, is the easiest and kind of the most obvious, as there really wasn't any evidence of a ship named the Orang Madan with any shipping companies, uh, with, with Lloyd's. No ship like that was actually registered. Also, the Silver Star at the time of the rescue, was actually an operation under a different company, being named the Santa Juana at the time, having not yet been purchased by the Grace Line Shipping Company. They actually were the ones who had changed its name. Also, reports about the Dutch ghost ship varied wildly, with different accounts surfacing years after the time of the supposed incident, and strange enough. Search efforts were never made for the wreckage of the Madan after the sinking. Also, an explanation for the explosion really was never sought either.
1: Yeah, I suppose if they knew exactly where it sunk, they would probably go ahead and, you know, look for it. Oh, definitely. I mean, back then, who knows
0: what kind of abilities they had to salvage a ship like that. But it's not like it sank out in the open ocean. No. It didn't sink in the straits, which are much shallower.
1: You know what I've been thinking this whole time? The Silver Star is a really weird name for a ship to me. Like when you see the Silver Star, I'm thinking of like maybe the third best strip club in a town or something. Like that's usually called the Silver Star, not a a ship here. Right. Am I the only one who's feeling that way?
0: Yeah, Silver Star, I mean, it's kind of an easy name for a ship, you know, uh, Just at the time too, there were a ton, yeah, at the time too, there were a ton of Silver Stars that were given out during the military. It's kind of, back then, you would get a Silver Star, it'd be kind of as famous as getting like a Purple Heart now, you know, you get it for oh. meritorious, you know, actions during war.
1: Okay, so, so like, if you're in the Navy, you have made it all around the world, and you didn't get Chlamydia, You'll get a silver star. I mean, maybe.
0: You know, if you banged a <laughs> lot of chicks and didn't get chlamydia, maybe you'd Hey. You know.
1: You know what? We know the reputation of sailors, Phil, so um
0: <laughs> There are just like uh the show family guy, there's just little quagmires in every single country. Yeah. <laughs> also, le- you mentioned you mentioned the name Silver Star being kind of weird. So the name Arang Madan is also really kind of weird in regards to the story. I mentioned that the ship actually was found just outside the city of Madan off the island of Sumatra. Uh, Orang Madan translates to the Man of Madan or the Madan Man. So basically you have a ship that's named after the city that it was found right next to. So it's almost like this ship really wasn't ever out at sea, it's, it's kind of one of those deals where it's almost like a device for a story, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, kind of. So, Orang, you're saying, means, like, man? Yes. Man of Madan. Okay. And Madan is a city. Yep. Yeah, if you go back up to the
0: map, you'll see that where they found it is right next to the city of Madan, the coastal city. Hmm. Uh,
1: hmm. That's a it's interesting. Huh. I wonder I mean I guess you're going to give more explanations here. Um Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's it, it is an interesting coincidence. Or I mean yeah. that the obviously the city's right there.
0: Yeah, that the the city that the ship is named after is right next to where all of the crew, you know, mysteriously died. And this whole story kind of takes place.
1: And if it was a Dutch ship, why would they be naming it that?
0: Well, the the Dutch had a lot of colonies in the area. Okay. So it's these are this is the Dutch East Indies. The Dutch Indies. Okay. So it's it's kind of an area that they were losing they were losing control of it at the time. But yes, it was it was kind of like for a few hundred a couple hundred years, it was kind of their area. The Dutch were gotcha. very powerful in, you know, trade. For a couple hundred years. We don't really think of them as powerful now, but they used to be very powerful.
1: You're right. I mean, I feel like you almost never hear about Dutch anything besides the potato chips.
0: Yeah, potato chips and clogs. Yeah. And windmills
1: and shit. Yeah, Yeah. nothing else. Chicks with pig blonde, uh, uh, what do you got, pigtails. I was also going to say red light
0: districts and, uh, well, legalized marijuana, but there's lots of legalized (laughs) marijuana now, so... Now, the idea that Orang Madan was never registered actually makes a lot of sense to another one of the explanations for this strange story. And that is that the Orang Madan was not actually a Dutch ship, but this ship was actually used in smuggling operations. And the ship had had its name changed numerous times to evade anti-pirate and anti-smuggling operations around the Straits. Now, of course, like I mentioned, the United States and other colonial powers were the ones who were trying to stop all of these operations. They also were the ones who were working to take control of the shipping lanes post Japanese occupation.
1: So maybe it was a real ship. It got taken down, but the ship at one point was named the Orang Medan, but maybe at this time is going by a different name. Is that what you're saying? Oh, definitely. Yeah.
0: So Orang Madan might have been um, like a false flag or a false name that it was flying under while it was doing its smuggling operations.
1: So do you think the story of it blowing up and going into the ocean might have just been a ruse? Instead, maybe they purposely had blown it up.
0: I mean, possibly the it doesn't really sound like the Silver Star was military at all or doing any kind of patrol it sounds more like it was a merchant ship kind of doing a humanitarian act even though according to one of the stories they were going to tow the ship in to salvage it now in other stories they were going to tow the ship in to investigate it so it's a you know different stories probably told you know in different times yeah so
1: yeah yeah i suppose
0: Back then it might have been not seen as bad to <laughs> salvage a ship with, you know, many, many dead bodies on it as it does, you know, today. So
1: so here's the thing I'm wondering from you, the Orang Medan, or you're saying it was just a false name for a ship, right? Yeah. Where does that correlate to the story of like the crew members being seen dying in fright it getting blown up or is it just saying maybe the ship existed but not that part of it well
0: okay so it all kind of rounds out with the explanation of a smuggling operation when you look at the explanation of the ship may have been fully loaded with dangerous cargo okay. the dangerous cargo may have even included like sulfuric acid nitroglycerin and cyanide okay okay a lot of those materials, especially nitroglycerin, are highly explosive. Um, we mentioned about the ship catching fire and exploding right after it was towed. Possibly the jolting of it being towed, nitroglycerin is highly unstable. Yeah. So if some of that would have rocked loose from its storage containers, it could have hit the ground, you know, and just started a chain reaction.
1: See, that is I think that's the chemical I was thinking of when. I was saying maybe if it's enough force to shake it up, you know, big boom, one explosion makes many explosions, yada, yada, yada.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's why I actually stopped you, because I kind of felt like you were going towards nitroglycerin, so.
1: Gotcha. You don't hear about nitroglycerin that much anymore, do you? I don't never hear about it. We have a lot more stable explosives, so... Now once I heard about Jesse Ventura and the, <laughs> the explosive paint that took down the twin towers. <laughs> yep, definitely. <laughs> a lot of nitroglycerin paint there, Jesse, huh? Oh yeah, everyone knows that the uh, the twin
0: towers were taken down by thermite. So, okay. yep. let's. We put- have a we have we have stuff like thermite. We have, you know, uh much more stable explosives that we can control, you know, the exact The exact kind of explosive power that we want, we can pretty much, you know, we have it down to a science now. We don't need just jars that, you know, some poor person throws into a mine shaft and hopes for the best. So
1: let me make a connection here. I just thought of Phil. So you got this ship. okay? it was blown up with explosives. It has is supposed to be a Dutch ship. Dutch boy happens to be a paint manufacturer. Maybe the Dutch was actually Dutch boy paint maker. They had explosive paint. Ship blows up from explosive paint. How do you feel about that?
0: Yeah. Also, Jesse Ventura has to be put in it somewhere. <laughs> I wish too, I could but... yell
1: like him and like have a skullet, <laughs> but I just I can't do it.
0: Have a have a bald head like mine but a, just an awesome ponytail yeah. coming from behind it Fuck yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: now also with these getting back into it with these explosive and highly toxic materials there may have also been a leak of maybe sulfuric acid or cyanide something which may have caused a cloud to form around the ship that would have killed the sailors where they stood forcing the contorted looks on their faces Now, this is after a mixing of many of the weak chemicals.
1: I I know this might be hypothetical, and I'm not trying to sound like the Scarecrow did this to people from Batman, but (laughs) what if there was a chemical that made them trip, you know, see, hallucinate, and they were genuinely in fear of something, and then maybe the gas killed them?
0: Yeah, it scared them to death. That would, I mean, it would explain why they had, you know, no, like, life-threatening injury on their bodies when they died and why their faces were contorted like that. If they were basically, you know, hallucinating while dying. I don't know. Also, you got to think too, there were no autopsies done on any of these bodies. So you have no idea, even though they didn't have any wounds on the outside, you have no idea what their internal organs may have looked like if they ingested some of these fumes.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, people every year, all around the world die of carbon monoxide poisoning. You don't even smell it. Um, so it could be definitely see. Now this I could see is a possibility where they're hallucinating. You know, they're all scared while at the same time, same time, secretly being poisoned by a mysterious gas and dying. I mean, that shit will kill you fast. Some gases will kill you fucking fast.
0: Yeah. This is actually the, that's why this is the number one explanation Outside of it's all fake. That's the reason. It's because this is so likely. Um, Actually, I'm going to get into, like I said, there's many, many different explanations for this. There's actually an account of a supposed survivor of this disaster. He was actually found by a missionary on the island of Tangi. This happened supposedly 10 days after the supposed destruction of the crew. This man's name, the survivor, was jerry rabbit (laughs) that is his actual name jerry rabbit he had actually claimed to be the ship's second officer he also claimed to the priest that he had drifted to this island on a life raft with six men who actually died on the trip meaning that he had to share a boat with six corpses the entire way probably eating them uh I mean, maybe, you know, if he got hungry, hopefully, hopefully he held out, but (laughs) Jerry Rabbit had actually told the missionary that the ship he was on, the Orang Madan, had picked up a lot of toxic cargo while at the ports of Shanghai and other Chinese coastal cities. And they were actually on their way to Costa Rica when his fellow sailors actually began falling ill and dying, many of them from heart attacks and strokes. Now, seeing his fellow crewmates dying off all around him, Rabbit was actually forced to flee the ship in the middle of the night with six of his crewmate friends. Though the other six crewmates, like I mentioned, would all pass away during the exodus, this would make Rabbit the sole survivor, or supposed survivor, I should say, and the main teller of the story of how much toxic chemicals and explosive materials they had on the ship he claims that they had thousands of pounds of explosives and other toxic materials in the ship's holds when the disaster struck
1: okay that's quite a bit i know what well, i think it's interesting from this account that the missionary failed to mention or didn't think it was weird that jerry rabbit was animated while everybody else around him was not animated <laughs> definitely yeah (laughs) it's literally the prequel to who framed roger rabbit here um including the toxic chemicals which spoiler alert uh the toxic chemicals are killing the animated characters in the movie uh but yeah i don't know it's i guess it's possible (sighs) yeah i don't know it's I, i don't know how do you feel about this one
0: yeah i can just imagine the monsters. Coming into frame while the Jesuit <laughs> priest is talking to
1: him. Uh, the guys from Space yeah, it, Jam just come in and dunk on him. <laughs> yep. There you go. Yeah.
0: It's, I mean, also to the Jesuit priest never mentions trying to fuck this poor, you know, man, Jerry Rabbit, which, you know, a lonely priest on an island, I imagine he tried to.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, well, he. It's funny, speaking about missionaries and, and people like this, I was literally joking with people. I said, is Ring Doorbells, the Church of, you know, Church of Latter-day Saints or Jehovah's Witness, Worst Enemies, because when they come to your door, dude, you can just hit that little camera and be like, hey, get the fuck out of here. You don't even got to look at them. Yep.
0: You don't even have to fucking peek your eyes out the blinds and They have no idea. You could be home. You could be on the fucking shitter. You could be at work. You just tell him to get lost. Yeah. So
1: goddamn. Yep. Uh anyway, uh continue on, Phil. Now,
0: conveniently possibly, mm. or you know, tragically, Jerry Rabbit would supposedly die a couple of days after his rescue. This was due to exposure that he experienced both on the ship and in the life raft while he was, you know, fleeing for his life. This would leave only the priest to tell Jerry Rabbit's grand tale. Also, in some witness accounts, there allegedly had been a missing life raft on the Ring Madan when the Silver Star found it. So, I mean, according to some of the legends, it kind of correlates the missing life raft to Jerry Rabbit. But in a few of the other accounts that I read, there was no mention of a missing life raft. They really hadn't been on the ship long enough to notice it. I really felt like reading it.
1: Well... Here's the thing, Phil. As we know, priests can be known to you know be tell a little. What do they call it? Flights of fancy. Um, <laughs> you know, they've been known to <laughs> to tell a, you know some mystical stories sometimes. Um, Charlatans, otherwise yeah. <laughs> known. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess if if Jerry Rabbit's story is to be believed it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility that eventually the exposure to the chemicals would kill him you know it's pretty probably pretty rare usually he'd like have to develop cancer or something not just not die immediately do you know what i'm saying it's almost it almost seems like you die immediately or you have a terminal illness later in life like there's not a lot of in between
0: yeah definitely i mean there's a lot of conveniences in this story yeah of uh, uh yeah i mean that's kind of Kind of why I put number one as it, it's probably all bullshit. It's just, it's so convenient. Like the ship blowing itself up right after they try to tow it away. So convenient. You know, it's right. no, no survivors at all. It's very convenient. So right. It's one of those. Every, anytime I hear about a tragedy and they have no idea what happened, no survivors, no clue. It's always like, oh, and there were no survivors. And, uh, you know, all the evidence burned up. Of course it did. You know, it happens every time. Right Now, another theory about the cargo is that actually the occupants of this ship were not regular sailors. They were actually Indonesian pirates and had taken over the former Dutch ship in their pirate activities and that they were smuggling this dangerous cargo to aid them in future deception possibly tons of explosive materials. And that this is the reason why the Orang Madan was never listed in the official registers really with all of the evidence of them being pirates conveniently burning up in that massive explosion.
1: I mean, yeah, I guess it's possible. They wanted to just not let it be known that one of their ships could be taken over by a pirate or pirates. I should say, I, you know, I guess it's possible. Um, And, you know, they actually didn't know what they were taking and blew up. But also, like, I'm sure you listened to the Blackbeard thing on last podcast on the left. Yes. Pirates usually were pretty smart about what they were attacking before they took the risk of just getting a random ship. Usually they kind of had an idea of what was on board.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm not exactly sure if. They were trying, they put out a false SOS to catch another ship, and then that ship exploded. Um, I'm I'm not sure if that, I mean, that's a possibility too, but okay. it would kind of make a night, like a fun story. If, yeah. If this was their game, if they put out a fake SOS, though, I think that the pirates would have attacked while the men were on the ship and not while they were being towed.
1: Well, I mean, unless the pirates had just taken the ship and then actually blew up themselves and then the... Whole story was made up about the Dutch ship to cover up the fact that the pirates had taken over their ship. That's what I was trying to say, I guess. Oh, gotcha. Okay, I miss I miss uh, I misread that. No, yeah, that, I understand now. I guess technically a false flag. <laughs> I don't know. What do you call that?
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah, pirates did use false flags, but so. I'm
1: saying like the company who originally owned the ship. Oh. Basically what they did with the Titanic
0: when they swapped it out for the, the Britannica and sank that instead. Yeah. That that conspiracy theory. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. For the insurance,
0: basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they blew up the Arang Medan for the insurance.
1: Well, if JP Morgan owns the Arang Medan, I wouldn't doubt it.
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah. One of the Rockefellers. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't let, they're not going to let $50,000 slip through their fingers. (laughs) They tighten that shit up. Mm -mm. Now, the next theory that I'm going to mention is that this incident had actually taken place a few years earlier than most of the stories mention. Really, saying that this story takes place during the early years of World War II, when in 1940, Supposedly, the Imperial Japanese Navy may have hired local Indonesian merchants to ship a highly secretive, horrifyingly deadly nerve agent created by the Imperial Japanese scientists during World War II. Working together, the scientists were in the highly secretive Unit 731 program.
1: Okay, now this is what we're talking about. We have a conspiracy here. It's... Basically like the start of a, you know, fantasy novel almost. Um, Very good. So maybe that would explain the condition the men were in, huh? Oh, definitely. Yeah.
0: I mean, if it was a nerve agent, like we're, we think of kind of what possibly the Japanese may have created, then definitely that would cause, you know, hallucinations, you know, crippling, just mangling their faces like that right yeah right if basically the pictures that got leaked out from all of the the testing of nerve agents during world war ii like the, the the holocaust and all of that very terrible and they all kind of also have just like horrible looks on their faces too
1: very true so maybe there is a little bit of possibility i guess
0: yeah, I mean, it. you kind of have to stretch it out a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, possibly there, I mean, you could also make up a story, I guess, where maybe the nerve agent was being smuggled out of Japan after World War II. Um, that could also, that would line it up with 1947. But I don't know exactly why the ship would blow up right after the, you know, the dead crewmen were found and the ship was about to be towed. Possibly, but I mean, maybe there was other things inside the ship that started on fire or possibly, you know, double agents maybe starting out on fire or something. Yeah, but I mean, it does kind of make sense for why all of the sailors were found in the condition that they, you know, have been found in.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't know. I guess. Yeah, it is kind of a tough one to believe. I mean, is OK, do you know our nerve agents in like strictly a gas form do they are they liquid and then been turned into gas or do you know what i'm saying
0: oh gotcha i believe it's mostly like a it turns into a vapor kind of okay. like a cloud that settles and gets on everything so whenever we did any kind of exercises in the military where we were trying to um called it like like mop exercises Uh, Like mop one, mop two, basically different levels of like having gas masks and gloves and, you know, boots and coveralls on. Basically, you're going out there, you put out little pieces of tape on equipment and items to see if that nerve agent or if, you know, what kind of agents are out in the air. Because it's all settling on vehicles and shit like that, which is why pretty much the first level is called suits and boots. So you don't get it on your
1: boots. interesting I didn't wasn't aware of that um so if they were exposed to a nerve agent what do you think from exposure to death is it like like fast well it depends on the the agent really but
0: i mean the kind of stuff that we're talking about here it probably would be quick like if um they talked about There was a Sarin attack Mm. a few years ago in Syria, and I'm pretty sure that was pretty quick.
1: Damn, just recent... Oh, I suppose... uh, What's his name? Didn't he do it to his citizens, the leader?
0: Yeah, the uh, the theory was that Bashir was the one who did it to his citizens. There's also theories out there that the resistance did it as a false flag to incriminate Bashir and get the Americans involved. So, who knows?
1: Who knows what happened? (laughs) Who knows? I'm... sure we'll never know the answer to that. Um I you know what let's just say 731 pretty fucked up to say to to uh put it mildly if they made a nerve agent probably would be quite effective. <laughs> you know what i mean? Yeah. So
0: Oh, definitely. And it's a World War II program from the Axis power that doesn't get talked about like the Nazis programs get talked about. Really a lot of people don't know about it's pretty strange. I hadn't actually heard about it until Creep It Real girls were talking about it. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's uh we'll have to cover it one day. A lot of a lot of torture, we we'll say <laughs> say that. Oh, yeah.
0: It's a multi-part episode, oh, definitely. Oh, for sure. For uh, sure. So with this, it actually kind of makes it harder to believe that the British and the Americans took part in the rescue. Um this is because really the Japanese by this time, had pushed out a lot of British and Americans out of the area. Also, the radio technology pre-World War II was not quite as advanced as it was post-World War II. Obviously, you know, the bigger the war, the better the technology gets. So,
1: Okay. Yeah, I suppose that does make sense.
0: Yeah, why would they
1: help? We did have radios, but, I mean, they did
0: get slightly better after.
1: Yeah, but you're right. Why would... The British or Americans help them unless they were, or even why would they be in the area if it was 1940? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking more of them just kind of
0: like strolling around the area in 1940. You know, I mean, Pearl Harbor, really, they were on 1940. You were just coming up on Pearl. So we weren't really at war yet, but the British were kind of, you know, it was, they were on the brink of war. Let's say. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We have to finish off this story going into the paranormal with theories like this ship may have been attacked by UFOs, which is how the sailors were killed, you know, without any external injuries on their body. Also, how there wasn't any damage done to the ship. Also, another fun one is. The theory that it could possibly have been the ghosts of long deceased pirates, which had boarded and attacked the crew. As a result, this crew would find their demise by being scared to death by the ghost pirates.
1: Well, so. a- as I mentioned earlier, literally the ring, the girl, Samara, yep. comes through, scares the shit out of you. You're dead with the terrified look on your face. It's literally that. Uh I would say these are probably very <laughs> unlikely, although maybe yep. the funnest ones. Uh, the ghost one literally reminds me of Pirates of the Caribbean, but um...
0: it's actually in uh, one of the one of the articles that I was reading. They did talk about the Black Pearl. Yeah, basically, kind of like the legendary ship piloted by or crewed by, you know, ghost pirate. So. Yeah, very true. Now. Of course, these last explanations have even less proof than really the entire story has, which kind of is minimal, which is sad if you look at it. Though, with a story like this, you really can not count any explanation out. And we must also remember, during this time, Barry Satiro was flying around in his magical timeship planting the seeds for the Chinese Communist Revolution and, of course, the Vietnamese Civil War. <laughs> and he would also have been out there just to sharpen his fangs against these this fabled freighter, the Orang Madan, and its crew of damn soul.
1: You know what? Maybe he's just passing by in his flying ship. He threw his Marlboro Light cigarette out, caught the ship on fire, blew it up. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Um,
0: Definitely. Also, he lived in Indonesia when he was young. So, See? Yeah. There's a,
1: Maybe it was yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, there's a connection there. Yep. <laughs> so I'm guessing you're leaning towards the whole story's just not even real at all. If I had to put money on it,
0: I would say I would put my lot in with that. There probably was a ship in the Straits of Malacca that this happened to but it wasn't as fantastical at all as the story that I told today.
1: Yeah. That's, I think that's a distinct possibility. Um, Do you think it would have been who started this story? Let's say the citizens of Medan, or do you think it would have been like the Dutch themselves? Or do you know what I'm saying?
0: I'm guessing it probably would have been passed along in the ports in this area. So like any, you know, any sailors, basically these ports were all over the place in the East Dutch East Indies. I'm guessing that, you know, the locals would hear stories from other sailors and then tell them to sailors who would come later, you know, changing the story a little bit. Then the sailors would take them to other ports and it would kind of change, uh, you know, basically like any story kind of picks up steam in certain places, gets changed to their liking. So
1: I mean, I'm guessing.
0: I'm guessing it was a mix of the locals and the sailors.
1: Is what I, I saying. mean. All these sea folk, you know, um, sailors or whatever. You got syphilis-ridden brains makes you a little crazy. Yep. Maybe you started making up some stories that were rooted in reality. You know, it's entirely possible. Um, but I do love this story. I think it is awesome. It's a fantastic story that has just enough. It's not too out there where it couldn't be possible. It is somewhat grounded in reality. It just has a few plot holes. Oh,
0: definitely. Yeah. And it's just the thing that I the thing I like most about it is kind of, you know, obviously the how the how the crew were found and kind of like it could be anything sort of situation. What I don't like is how many different accounts of it there are that all kind of claim to be like the official account. I really don't. I really don't like that situation. So it was really between this story and a story of a ship where the crew was sailing in the Northwest Passage above Canada. And they actually came out and the crew of the ship were frozen solid. So I kind of I picked
1: this one over that one. I actually might do that one later on, though. OK, I mean, that one sounds fantastic as well. Phil. If they want to know how to reach us and tell us if they think this story is real or not, where can, they, uh, where can they do that? Well, they can hit
0: us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. It's great hearing from everybody. We've gotten quite a few messages in the past couple of weeks, so thank you for that. Also, lots of messages coming in this uh, 4th of July weekend. Sorry if I didn't get back to all of you. I'll try to get back to you at least by this weekend on our Instagram, Subliminal Deception Podcast. On IG, thank you for all of the, you know, the episode ideas, all the support, all the love. It's great. Cody and I also have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is sdpodphil. Cody, you got one?
1: Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at Zabub. Send me a message, whatever. Uh, the last thing we need you guys to do, and as Phil alluded to earlier in the episode, if you leave us a funny message, a funny five star message, we will. Read it at the beginning of the show, just like we did um, for Mr. Satan. There, you can do that on iTunes. Just type something funny, leave the show a five-star review. We greatly appreciate it. it; greatly helps us, you know, expand our numbers here. And if you are a Spotify user, it's even simpler. You just hit the five star, hit submit. You can't even physically type anything. So, thank you to everybody who's done that as well. Phil, excellent episode. I, you know, I love the mysterious votes and. Yeah. We'll be back next week.
0: Thanks, guys.